Welcome to Hubstaff's Agency Advantage Podcast, hosted by Andy Baldacci. Each week, Andy interviews a successful agency owner who shares their proven strategies to help you build and grow your agency. Hey guys, welcome back to Hubstaff's Agency Advantage Podcast. Today is episode number 10, and I'm excited to be joined by Bart Bartlett, co-founder of North Carolina-based Zen. Bart has over 10 years' experience in sales, and after a career of working at startups, including two exits, one of which was to Apple, he wanted to do something a bit different. So a little over a year ago, we partnered up with Amanda Moore, and Demand Zen was born. Demand Zen is a team of cold callers, marketers, and salespeople dedicated to helping technology companies grow. In this chat, Bart covers everything, from how to find customers to the tools they use to run their agency. But where we really dig in is how his team applies a testing methodology to everything they do. If your pipeline's getting a bit stale, Bart's sales tips are sure to freshen it up. So without further ado, here's Bart. So, hey, Bart, thanks for coming on. Oh, no worries. Good chat. All right. So today you help startups and B2B focused divisions with their demand generations efforts. And you have over a decade of experience with sales and marketing. But you graduated from Stanford with a degree in electrical engineering. So how did you end up here today? <laughs> so that was a really long journey. Um, <laughs> so I started off actually working an Oracle at tech support. Uh, and then I got hired, strangely enough, uh, to be a software engineer as part of a technology exchange for a GPS company that was doing business in Japan. Um, so did three years in Japan, more in the engineering. So, and then I sort of transitioned to business development because there was sort of more activity on the business side for them, that company in particular in Japan. Um, and I just, it turned out I liked it. And so kind of from there, I progressed more from technology projects and management in IT, more towards um, just the business side of things. Yeah, so if I look at kind of your, your titles, I see in like the early 2000s, you start getting positions like VP of marketing, VP biz dev, field marketing. How do you go from information technology manager into the marketing, into the sales world like that? Sure. So I basically transitioned um, while I was in Japan. I sort of moved into more of an OEM biz dev role. Um, at the time, we were marketing GPS um, circuit boards and circuitry. And so I had a lot of interface at that point with uh, VP of Worldwide Sales. And when I came back, I still worked for that company. Um, and so I sorted, started working more with the business on IT type of projects. And then I transitioned to a product management role, um, transitioned to a product marketing role, uh, took over an inside sales team. <laughs> you know, it was just one of those <laughs> things that kind of just evolved over time. So it sort of it snowballed and you were just picking up experience along the way and, and just kind of gaining a lot in that way? Yeah. I mean, I just, so I love learning new things, right? So I'm always sort of trying different stuff and, you know, seeing, seeing what works and what doesn't. And, um, that that tends to, at least historically, it's given me the ability to kind of transition my career progressively into new things just because that's what I enjoy doing. When did you decide to make the transition into starting your own agency, Demand Zen? Sure. So um, I've worked at a variety of startups, I think like nine over the last 15 oh, years wow. or so. Yeah. And the last two basically sold to large companies, one in Cupertino and then one in Boston. And kind of net of that, um, I'd had a pretty good run and just kind of wanted to do something different. Um, so I decided to just um, start consulting. Um, and then about a year ago, 
um, a woman who I'd worked with for several years as a customer basically suggested we merge our businesses, and so we did that. So when you started out, um, were you just working by yourself, just uh, as a solo consultant? Yeah, no, it was me, myself, and I. <laughs> and what was it like getting those first couple clients? A little slow. So I actually did um, some advisory work, more or less for free, for a startup in Israel, um, and kind of got um, helped them kind of get some of their marketing associated with um, initial go to market and initial funding strategy put together. Um, then I started working. Um, for another local startup in Chapel Hill, near where I live in North Carolina. I mean, it took a few months, but um, I picked up another gig with a client in Durham, and then you know a lot, another gig with a company in Raleigh. It just kind of progressively built mm-hmm. built my solo business. And so, what were the services you were offering then? Same, the same stuff, just demand generation. Um, although at, at that time, I tended to work more as a, um, a contract employee. So I was either an acting director of marketing or an acting VP of marketing, you know, helping them um, work through different marketing challenges within their organizations. Mm-hmm. And so then you teamed up. It was uh, Amanda Moore, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so you guys teamed up and then created Demand Zen. And then what – so what do you guys do today? Um, we do – just different demand generation projects. So, you know, everything from um, PPC and digital marketing, uh, e-marketing to cold calling. Um, so that's more Amanda's side of the business. If someone comes to you, what is, I guess, what is the end goal? What, do you, what is the deliverable? Do you get them appointments? Do you set up meetings? Or what do you give to your clients? So on the cold calling side, yeah, we set appointments. And we track that into pipeline commonly within Salesforce. And then on the digital marketing, you know, we essentially try and do the same thing where we're tracking um, attribution to revenue or attribution to shopping cart. Um, you know, we're essentially trying to establish an ROI and the investment they're making with us and, and their advertising dollars. So with, on the digital marketing side, you'll go through the whole funnel kind of until the sale. You'll get all the way down? Yes, absolutely. Okay. I know there's a lot of appointment setting services. There's a lot of digital marketing agencies. What makes you different? Um, so we're, we're pretty results focused. Essentially, I'm, I'm, we are always trying to do things to differentiate the business. I think what really differentiates us on the cold calling side is we're, we're not a puppy mill, right? We don't charge people per dial. Um, we focus on actually setting meetings. Um, our incentive structure is, is set up around that. Um, so you're not really paying for someone's time or sort of the smiling and dialing. It's much more results focused. Um, and then on the digital marketing side, we're, we're very adoptive of new technologies. Like I think the, the buzzword this year is predictive marketing. Um, and I've, I've worked on about six different predictive projects over the last two years. Um, and, and I'm actually looking at, um, I mean, I found some success on the predictive side, but I'm also looking at, at other technologies that kind of can go a bit beyond that in terms of what they offer customers where, where you can actually just target people who are actively consuming content specifically related to your products or services. What are some of the technologies that would let you do something like that? Um, so it's a, it's a partner that we work with. It's a startup. Um, but essentially, they're, they're integrating um, ad network data with a bunch of other data sources and using um, big data technologies to facilitate that. Um, so it's just a lot of data processing. But, but you can do some pretty cool stuff with it, right? Like we, had, um, we have a client who works 
um, in the enterprise file sync and share space. And we were able to find active projects within some Fortune 100 companies um, using that technology. And that it was a combination of the technology with cold calling to, to essentially understand that there's potentially some active projects and then go find the people who were working on them. Okay. And so I see you said like um, Amanda's more on like the cold calling side of the business. But when you're working with clients, when you have a new engagement, do you see it as multiple facets of the business or are both the cold calling, the digital marketing, is it kind of one, all different parts of the same solution you're offering? So commonly, the customers don't overlap between digital marketing and cold calling. Um, yeah, they tend to be fairly distinct in terms of the nature of the offering. We do have customers that, that utilize both. Mm-hmm. Is it kind of customer-driven, or, or are you consulting them on what would be a better fit for them if they come to you? Yeah, so it's, I mean, it, it depends upon what their business requirements are. And we use a lot of different tools. Um, you know, the, I mean, the, the thing that I've been most impressed with over the last, I guess, probably 10 years is just the explosion of SaaS tools available to digital marketers. Um, you know, it's almost overwhelming, right? There's probably over a thousand now. Um, and one of one of my hobbies is looking at SaaS tools and figuring out how to apply them to both my business and other businesses. Say I'm a SaaS startup, and we've just raised like a Series A. We don't have a full sales team. Um, if I come to you to work with cold calling, do I need to have a sales team already in place, or how sophisticated do my own sales operations need to be for me to take advantage of the cold calling services you guys have? Yeah, so it's great if you have a sales rep, but you know it's not really a specific requirement. We we do a lot of work with founders and early stage organizations um, to help them get their even initial product validation, um, establishing initial initial pipeline as part of raising a Series A. Um, we've worked with we've worked with multiple clients who are seed funded to help, you know, establish initial traction and validation. Okay. And so do you have like a specific um, target market? Like do you only, I know it's primarily B2B, but is there a certain size, a certain industry that you focus on or is it more broad than that? So we're, we're pretty flexible. I mean, in practice, right, the transaction volume or the annual recurring revenue needs to be sufficient to support our efforts. Um, but we're we're pretty comfortable working in different markets. Um, we've worked in healthcare, um, virtualization, big data, storage, um, a lot of different projects. What would a typical, from like a high level, what would a digital marketing campaign look like with you from the first meeting with a client? What sort of questions are you going to ask them, and how will that shape the strategy that you guys build around their campaign? Oh yeah, no, it's very much question based. So um, you know, we tend to work. Um, almost exclusively on a retained basis. So our, our goal is really to align um, the work that we're doing and the output with the client's specific business requirements. Um, and, and that just really varies. Like um, for a client that I've been working with recently, um, their target customer base is in China. Um, and so we've done a lot of exploration around um, the, the digital options that are available in China um, it, you know, it turns out if you're, if you're going to focus on SEO tools in the Chinese market, um, you know, there's a, there's a tool called Dragon Metrics that's specifically focused on the Chinese search engines. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll sort of customize uh, the conversation relative to their specific requirements. 
Okay. And so, because I know you guys do a lot of uh, search engine marketing. And so for like PPC, how it's not as simple. Like it used to be when, when keywords were super cheap, you didn't have to like in probably 10 years ago, you didn't have to have as sophisticated a funnel to make money with it. And so how has that kind of changed in not even that recent years, but how has it changed over time? What, why is this something that a startup wouldn't be able to do as easily in house? Um, well, you know, I some think, do, but yeah, yeah, I mean, some do, and some do a really good job, actually, mm-hmm. right? But um, I mean, commonly, you know, we see um, internally people just get distracted by other things, and they can't maintain a consistent focus on evolving their PPC campaigns. Um, you know, which is which is something that we comfortably do week over week. Um, you know, it, I guess I, I sort of just view it as a different degree of focus. Um, I mean, we manage we manage PPC and conversion the way a lot of people manage enterprise sales pipeline and Salesforce. You know? But no, so for for the PPC stuff, like like you were saying, I get it. Like especially working in a growing startup myself, like there's so much going on that it's hard to kind of take the focus that's needed to dial in a specific channel like that. But for the ones that have tried to do it on their own and have found the time, what kind of mistakes do you do you see most people making with with PPC? Oh, like all the really basic stuff, right? Like not enough keywords, um, not scraping their competitors' keywords, um, not optimizing keyword to ad conversion, not maintaining emotional continuity between their keywords, the ads, and the landing pages that they present, um, not tracking conversions. Um, I don't know what else comes to mind. <laughs> right, and then I'm I'm sure you'll have a lot of like clients that have done it and tried to do it themselves and probably don't even have landing pages. They're just going to ship everyone to the homepage or just things like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, we see that all the time. That's very common. And so when they some come to you, you guys are going from the ground up, just building out landing pages, kind of collecting all the data on keywords, looking at competitors, and doing all of that. Or what does that process look like? Yeah, so we kind of look at what they've got going and kind of see how far they've gotten. You know, commonly, I mean, the nice thing about AdWords is it's really optimized at this point for Google, right? So they're going to help you spend as much money as they can possibly squeeze out of you. And and they're going to provide you with, you know, as as little results as they can in that concept, right? Like, I mean, if you, if you turn on auto pricing, right, they're going to just keep bumping up your rates until you've spent all your money and they're going to ask you for more. Um, so, you know, commonly we'll start by putting in bid constraints, um, turning off low, low performing keywords, um, you know, AB split testing ads, you know, just a lot of basic stuff that we can do progressively that we know and have seen over time is going to, is going to improve their results and the outcome. For search engine marketing, like, is it primarily PPC or are there other areas that you guys look at? Yeah. I mean, so we also work on e-marketing, um, e-marketing campaigns, um, you know, we work on SEO. Um, I mean, our, our goal is to basically use a, a mix of tools uh, to try and complement their demand generation efforts. Okay. And so you're not necessarily focusing just on one. You want to say, like, all right, we'll use SEO, we'll use PPC. We'll have, like you said, a, a mix to kind of have a more cohesive strategy that, that works towards achieving their goals. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, interesting. And so for you guys yourselves, I know you said when you started as a on your own, it was kind of a slow process to build up the clients, but it kind of it, it gained steam over time. How do you use some of these services 
to get clients yourself or, or do you not? Like, how do you guys grow as demands in? Oh, uh, well, so we do a fair amount of cold calling. Um, a lot of our business is also um, driven by referrals. And, you know, the combination of um, talking to, I mean, commonly we're talking to, you know, senior marketers, um, senior salespeople. And, you know, sometimes they'll have an existing inside team that only follows up on, on inbound or warm leads. Um, and they've got a, they have a transaction value that really merits doing some cold prospecting. Because, uh, you know, as an early stage startup, people are not looking for you. Right. right. Like, <laughs> so, but that's the thing. It's like with the way kind of the echo chamber is right now is like all you hear about is like inbound marketing. Right. And it works. But what what do you say to the, all the people that say like, hey, cold calling's dead. Like you don't do that. It doesn't work anymore. Yeah. I mean, you know, I would say, I mean, I worked in the storage industry for 20 years and people kept saying that tape was dead and, you know, people still <laughs> use tape. Um, I mean, cold calling is dead as soon as people stop answering their phones. That's a good way of putting it. <laughs> right. So until then, um, cold calling is probably likely to be pretty effective. Right. And so I, I, I see two kind of sides of it. One, people don't like receiving cold calls. But another thing is like people don't like the phone. And so they say like, I just don't want to cold call. Like even if it does work, I don't want to do it. Yeah. But, well, so I mean – the the thing is, how do you present yourselves when you cold call, right? Like we're very benefits focused and, and we work with companies that do have unique selling propositions. Like that's absolutely critical to cold calling today, right? Like if you cold call for a commoditized product, um, you're going to get nowhere. It's like just running into a wall repeatedly and doing it as often as you want. Um, yeah. right. So no, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we do focus on making sure that we're, we're presenting the benefits associated with what our customers provide and, you know, again, focusing on education. So it's, it's not a hard driving cold call, right? It's not boiler room. It's nothing really like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, cause I, I think it's, I, especially with Wolf of Wall Street being so popular recently, people just think, oh, like you're just calling people up, just nonstop, just going through your, your script and just kind of just hoping to wear people down, but it, it, that doesn't work. That might not work anymore. Right. It but, doesn't. Yeah. And so what would a typical cold call that you guys would make look like? What would that sound like? What types of things you say? It's like educational based, but if you just got someone on the phone, you can't kind of just give a seminar on the phone. So how do you handle that balance? Oh yeah. No, it's very brief, right? I mean, we just ask for, you know, maybe a minute of their time and, and focus on, um, how, our client's offering is different, um, the benefits that it can potentially provide, and see if they're potentially interested in learning more about it. Do you guys have, I'm guessing, access in some way to the your client's kind of sales calendars, or how does that kind of handoff of the meeting work? Yeah, absolutely. We definitely work with their calendars. And, mm-hmm. so, and then do the prospects that you're calling, do they know that the person they're dealing with isn't the client directly, or how do you handle that relationship? Oh, yeah. No, we definitely act on behalf of our clients. Mm-hmm. So we want to make that transparent to prospects. Mm-hmm. You guys basically act as like the SDR. Right. Okay. What clients typically will benefit the most from that? Is it someone who they can close deals on their own, but they just have a shortage of leads and you help them kind of generate more leads and get them to the point where kind of uh, a fully fledged salesperson can take over? Or where do you guys usually fit in the best? Like what's kind of the sweet spot for a company working with the cold calling side of your business. Oh yeah, no, we definitely work with reps who are actively um, looking for and closing deals. 
right? And commonly, I mean, most of our clients, and not all of them, I and mean, we have clients with hundreds of employees, but most of our clients sort of are in the zero to 50 um, um, employee stage, right? So they'll hire a sales rep and say, go find business. And, you know, they may or may not have any significant marketing in place. Um, and so, you know, in those situations, um, we just start setting meetings and put them on their calendar. Okay. And so you, you almost augment their team in, in that case. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's what we do. We want to, we want to, um, augment their team in a, in a beneficial and measurable way. So you said you were doing some of this cold calling on your own. What was that educational bit that you would use to hook them into get a meeting or whatever it was that you were looking for when you were trying to grow demands in and still are? Oh, well, so, I mean, a lot of our, a lot of our differentiation as a cold calling company is really driven by research and doing a better job of picking who we target. So, you know, when I said we're not a puppy mill, like you can't pay us to do a project per dial. Like it's just not what we do. Um, and, and if you give us a list, you know, we'll ask you if you purchased it. And if you did, we'll tell you that 50 to 80% of it is bad and you're, we're probably just wasting our time. <laughs> you know, like we're very straightforward in that regard. Um, so, you know, in practice, um, we're, we're good at understanding technology uh, we're good at finding the people in organizations um, who can potentially consume that technology or are working on related projects. So, you know, and we, and we put together a solid pitch. So we really try and and do better research in terms of who we target, um, provide better messaging, and use that to to drive better results. If you're doing the cold calling campaign, who are you targeting? It, it totally depends on the client's product, right? Well, no, 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 but for, for I'm saying for demands then. Like who oh, so for you? us, yeah. So commonly it would be the VP of marketing or the VP of sales. Because mm-hmm. I think that's something that it almost is like the paralysis by analysis thing that even people who are willing to do cold calling are willing to do something like that, they just, they freeze up like, all right, well, I need to know what to say in this case, in this case. And like they try to plan everything out. But it sounds like a lot of what you're saying is as long as the, the fundamentals are there, obviously you can tweak a script and improve it. But as long as your benefits driven, focusing on education, that's probably the most important part, it seems like. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, Amanda is just phenomenally skilled at this, right? So um, she's just good at it. Um, so, you know, commonly we're getting a hold of people who don't expect us to be able to get a hold of them. They're actually being patient enough to listen to a quick pitch and we're establishing enough interest to turn that into a meeting. Yeah. And so how do the kind of those principles apply for the digital marketing side? Because it seems like content marketing is kind of one of the newer buzzwords over the past couple of years. And there's just so much content out there. And I know that that's not exactly what you guys do, but I'm, I'm sure it still kind of applies with some of the landing pages and with some of the, the ads is that do you need to be more educational with that than you might have had to be in the past? Yeah, well, so I mean... So I guess I'm always trying to sort of think ahead of the game, like where are things going, right? So um, content is and has always been fundamental to success in marketing, um, right? It's just blogs and things like that have made it a lot easier to sort of create more casual content um, and socials made it easier to distribute it. Um, but I find that in practice, people commonly don't necessarily promote their content broadly enough or, you know, leverage it uh, to the greatest extent possible across as many channels as they can. Um, and so that's the type of stuff that we do. Uh, some examples of, of sort of creatively leveraging content or even just how people work 
Um, we had one client who is in a fairly commoditized business. Um, they do chemical testing. Actually, I'd say it's highly commoditized, right? So um, cold calling, we actually tested it, and we just basically, so after a couple of days, we're like, okay, you know, not enough differentiation to merit a cold calling campaign. But what we built for them, um, based on their expertise, they had a lot of expertise around just chemical tests, right? So um, we built a um, essentially a click-to-call um, PPC campaign that was highly optimized around both the geographic area that, that their customers are commonly based in, as well as very specific to the tests themselves. Um, so what that results in is someone is running a query on a test on Google, right? Um, and they just pop up as an inline ad and it's click to call. So it's on your mobile phone. You just literally tap and right. then you're talking with an expert in that test. What sort of call to action do you need to get someone to go from searching to just immediately being ready to make the call? Well, I mean, that's where Google, I think, has done an incredible job. I don't know if, if you've looked in, like, Google Maps now, right? But mm-hmm. if, if you look up a local business, it doesn't show you a phone number. You have to click on more information to see that because um, Google wants you to just click the call button. Um, so it's just it's leveraging that, that the, the desire of a prospect to just immediately get an answer to their question. In that case, you guys aren't feeling the call. It would be your client would be, correct? Yeah, yeah. So this was this was a specialized program. This is where you know pretty pretty rapidly figured out cold calling wasn't fit and said, okay, how can we leverage digital techniques and your expertise to you know create a different kind of campaign? I I know I knew that those guys liked picking up the phone and liked answering questions and having conversations around testing and how they could help customers. Um, they just needed more phone calls, and that's right. more or less what that campaign did. Huh? Have you guys? done a lot of the click-to-call campaigns or is that kind of was that like a one-off or is that something you guys are focusing more on now well so that was a one-off specific to that business Um, but it's i mean it's definitely something i always keep in mind Mm -hmm. because i'm guessing the in the ad itself it's not you're not immediately excelling the services you're talking about like you said like answering their question that's something that they're an expert in again benefits and education right that that's what converts to revenue yeah and, and it's the same thing with with content marketing in general and there's so much kind of now that every kind of guru is preaching it, spin selling was. Have you heard of that book? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it, that, I mean that's not a new book. That was probably came out in like I think like early eighties maybe, and that was one of the big things they talked about was like educate your your customers, like you like make make them aware of the problems in the business and how you're able to help improve them and fix them. Yep, absolutely. And then I mean I think another thing like even if people successfully create content, right? They like you can go from content to a PPC campaign um, in a very nuanced way, right? And and I think that like Ollie Gardner and Unbounce um, have have provided a lot of education around this. But it's you know it's essentially maintaining a continuity of of a prospect's emotional experience through to the point of consuming your content. Can I guess just for the listeners, can you go a little more into detail, like? what that continuity would look like, like each step. Cause I'm guessing you're seeing like from when they see the ad to the landing page to everything, what, how would you maintain continuity? What would that kind of look like in practice? Well, so, I mean, the, the way I think about it is, is often working backwards, right? It's like produce great content. Um, and then, you know, the, the ad might say download a free white paper, but, but really what you're advertising and the keyword universe that you're building is much more around the educational elements um, within the content itself. 
Okay. And so, because I guess the way I think of tradition of like the continuity aspect is like if you mention like on the basic levels, like if you mention something in the ad, have it on the landing page, right? Is yeah, that? But, but yeah. it's it's making that consistent all the way through to content, right? Right. And there's right. just so many examples. Like a, a lot of people can get it right, right? Like they'll get the keyword to the ad link, and mm-hmm. then they'll drop traffic on the homepage. <laughs> right. No, and that makes sense. And that right. So it's just making sure each step of the way kind of flows more naturally and keeps, like you were saying, the emotional state consistent. Right. And the other thing is test everything, like A-B test everything, right? The tools exist, um, things like Optimizely, right? There's a, there's a lot of really great tools out there. Um, and and there's just a lot of value in being disciplined about using them um, because, I mean, I have seen um, across different cultures uh, very, very different responses to tests, right? So... Um, Oh, I see. Because, and I'm guessing, like, how did that affect, like, when you were advertising like the Chinese market? Yeah, exactly. So, in China, you want to you want to send text only emails. Um, they they've got a ton of content blocking. They've got a ton of, you know, just just the the gray firewall of China. There's there's a lot of things that get in the way. Um, straight text tends to get through, and it performs much better. Um, things things like your your corporate brand um, can be a much more established entity there. Whereas in the U.S., you know, as a best practice, you want to put someone's picture in it and, um, you know, in your email and personalize it. And in in China, you don't want to do that. You will commonly get worse results. <laughs> huh. And that's interesting. I think a lot of times, too, is when people create PPC campaigns or even just like Facebook ads or anything like that, they don't, they set the targeting way too wide in that, even within a single market or even a single culture are going to respond very differently to the same words or the same pictures or the same just messaging. Yep. Absolutely. If someone isn't doing any AB testing, like can they profit with AdWords? Like I'm guessing you could probably create a campaign from scratch that without any tests probably was profitable, but the, like the average person without any testing is probably do they stand a chance? Oh, I would actually postulate. So we always test, and and you know, in terms of of establishing and maximizing the profitability or return on a campaign, I would say at this point, you know, Google's way smarter than everyone else's in that regard. So if you're not testing and actively tweaking your campaign effectively week over week, um, you if it, if you have a profitable campaign now, it's going to become progressively less profitable over mm-hmm. time. On Facebook ads. I, I get it because you're advertising to the same people week after week, so you can't just use the same ad. Whereas for AdWords or for search ads, the the searchers are usually going to be kind of a transient population as it's going to be whoever's searching for that right now, but that population isn't the same. And so why do the ads degrade over time if it's new people coming in? Well, it's not so much that the ad itself degrades because you're right, the, the audience is potentially somewhat um – consistent but transient mm-hmm. um, it's more if you're always testing then you're always striving to get a better result okay actually do you mind if we kind of get a little like geeky and go in like the the specifics of like an adwords campaign and so why should someone who if they're not too familiar with like adwords they might be thinking like well i make a ton off each lead off each so like off each click i don't care to optimize it. I don't want to spend that much time. Can I just increase my bid and then get the top rank on there? 
Yeah, I mean, you can do that, right? But I mean, the, the difference in doing that with a quality of score of seven and doing that with a quality score of three is, is massive, right? Yeah, and so, so for someone that's not familiar with a quality score, could you explain that a little bit? Oh, yeah. So Google basically charges you twice as much if you have a low quality score versus if you have a high quality score, right? So you're paying more per click, um, but you're also... I mean, you have to understand your competitors with higher quality scores are paying half as much as you are. And so, yes, you can outbid them, um, but you're just fundamentally giving more money to Google um, when if you sort of produced a better, more congruent, um, more performant campaign, um, you know, you'd be spending less money. Mm-hmm. Right. Because that's one thing I think a lot of people overlook, though, even with like a profitable AdWords campaign, they'll say like, all right, I'm making money. Like, why, why look deeper into it? And I think the quality score itself is a huge thing. So it's basically like a, a one to 10 scale. Um, and that affects is part of like, not, I wouldn't even call it like an algorithm. It's part of the equation to determine like where your ad is shown on the page. Correct. Right. And actually that's another reason why you can't like things. They just don't say static, right? Like the quality score itself is, is changing and progressing over time. Google's algorithms are changing. Your competitors are starting to bid against you. Right. I mean, it's not that hard to scrape keywords and figure out what people are using and, and to go after them. Um, so, you know, to me, it's just much more of an active process. And, you know, if your program's highly profitable and, you know, that, that's awesome. Um, but it's, it's just one of those things that I think there's just a lot of benefit in, in paying attention to on an ongoing basis. Mm-hmm. Right. Otherwise, you even if you're making money, you're still probably leaving a lot on the table. Yeah. Yeah. The, looking at the competitor's keywords, why would I want to do that? Oh, because it's, it's, it's a really simple way to expand your universe, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, I mean, if your competitors aren't total yahoos, hopefully they're optimizing their campaigns and, and you can learn from them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause um, I guess that's where it's a different mindset than a lot of other marketing channels where you can't as easily get that information. Yeah, that's true. Right. Because if you were, if you're thinking about the cold calling, you can like ask around like, Oh, like, and people will tell you like, Oh, I got called by these companies and you'll know what they're working on, but you can't say, run a query and say, all right, who is this company X calling? Right. But with AdWords, you can fairly accurately know, all right, what keywords is are my competitors advertising on? Right. And I mean, we're, we're focusing pretty specifically on PPC, but I like to think of the testing methodology as just something you can apply to anything digital. Mm-hmm. Like anything that involves a click, you can split, you can split test. <laughs> right. And so, well, how does that, the testing methodology, like how does that kind of um, affect the way you run demands and like internally? Like how does that shape your culture and like sort of philosophy of, of your agency? Oh, well, yeah, we're just, it's like always be testing, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, don't, don't set up a campaign and then start testing it. Mm-hmm. Um, always be trying to make things better. Um, just the amount of, I mean, I mean, I can give you, some of my examples are just kind of outlandish, right? Mm-hmm. But um, I mean, those are the fun ones. Right. Um, so cool we that. have a customer who on their contact us page had 160 different things to do. <laughs> so, you know, we, we reduced that down to one. Right. And surprisingly, the results went up a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, that's funny. Right. So there's that, there's that kind of stuff. And, and the tools available now are, are just awesome. Right. So, um, you can drop a line of JavaScript on a page and, and have the ability to then completely change everything about it. Um, you know, how it renders, the colors, where buttons are placed, 
Um, but, but you also have the ability to remove the distractions. And again, I, I set up everything as a test, right? Like the, I, I forget where the stat came from, but, um, I, essentially one of the things I read was that seven out of eight tests fail, right? Like, mm-hmm. no, I've heard a similar stat at least. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to be comfortable failing, um, early and often, right? But, but the wins can be huge, right? Like I've seen, I've seen tests produce a 17% bump in revenue associated with a given audience, Wow. Right, and that's money. <laughs> right, right. If you have a product and like it's selling, if you can make a bump like that, like no, that that can be like transformative to a business. Right. Yeah, it's worth hundreds of thousands or potentially millions of dollars. Yeah. And I think one thing that I think like from outsiders' perspectives is when they think of A/B testing, like oh, they just immediately think of like Google testing five different shades of blue or like things like that. Yeah. Like that, those tests for the most part. They can have differences, but like, unless you have insane traffic, you probably won't be able to like get as good result. But right. it, you're looking at like more sub- substantial tests, I'm assuming. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you kind of have to take chances with your tests, mm-hmm. right? And try some fairly outlandish stuff or some different stuff or, you know, just different approaches um, mm-hmm. to, to see what the results are. Mm-hmm. Finding a reliable channel for growth is crucial to building a lasting, profitable agency. And after this short word from our sponsor, Bart's going to share what has worked best for Demand Zen. Hang tight. We'll be right back. The Agency Advantage podcast is brought to you by Hubstaff. Now, Hubstaff makes time tracking software for remote teams so that you can stop tracking time with spreadsheets or on the back of napkins or whatever else you're using and start getting the insights into how your team is actually spending their time that only screenshots and in-depth reports can give you. Our best clients are agency owners, and while they love the accountability that comes with it, it's sort of like Upwork but without all the crazy fees, where they really find the true value is by being able to connect Hubstaff with a project management tool to see what tasks are taking up their team's time. Think of it as Google Analytics for your team. I do want to warn you, though, there's a good chance once you see this data, you're going to be sick when you realize how little time is spent actually delivering the project itself. But you can't set up the procedures to make your agency more efficient if you're just guessing where time is being spent. So give Hubstaff a try so you can stop guessing and start streamlining your agency. Head over to hubstaff.com today and sign up for a free, no credit card required, 14-day trial and get your agency back on track. All right, let's get back to Bart. And so for for you guys right now, we, we talked about a lot of different kind of channels. We talked a lot about a lot of different like ways of growing. What has been most effective for, for you to grow demand then? So I mean, we've grown on both sides of the business. Um, and I think, I mean, a lot of our growth has been driven by referrals, right? So, um, you know, we, we, we try and, and work in a beneficial way for our clients and, and measure those results and develop an ROI on our programs. And, and I think that's probably the most critical element. Um, and then, you know, on the marketing side, so we do work with a lot of early stage organizations. A lot of companies sort of get started, um, but they don't necessarily get finished, um, you know, so you'll see in their e-marketing, you know, they've they've gotten synchronization set up. They may have launched a few campaigns, um, but they really haven't fleshed out their core um, customer personas and started to develop um, custom content targeting those personas. Um, you know, they're not doing SEO and PPC targeting again at those specific people and and how they consume the products. Um, so. You know, that's to me. That's where an agency can really help in sort of providing focus and, um, you know, essentially an ongoing degree of specificity in the work that we do, 
um, without getting sort of spread out across all the different requirements of the business. Hmm. Most of the agencies I talk to, one of the things holding them back is that they're too dependent on referrals. Like if, if the referrals stop, they don't get business. Right. But so for like, if an agency owner is just saying like, Hey, we, we've been growing on referrals, best by word of mouth. Like we've gotten to five to seven employees. Like we're fine. Like why, why should they look into the more proactive methods of demand generation? Well, I mean, you know, I think a lot of it, it depends on their ethos, right? Like I do it cause I like it. Right. Like to me, part of producing results for our clients is always trying to do a better job of producing results for ourselves. Um, and I like, I like the experimentation associated with trying new approaches and new methods. Um, I mean, I can tell you as a digital marketing agency, um, being, being, you know, a cold calling service is also incredibly helpful. Um, but I mean, a lot of it is just how, how you position, um, you know, how can you change a business in a given conversation? What are the challenges that people have that, that you can help, right? And, and it's being able to have an initial conversation, ask the right questions, feel the customer's pain points, and then translate that into a proposal. Oh, no, that's perfect. And I think you had a definite leg up. Like you said you were doing some software engineering, but for well over a decade, you had extensive experience with marketing and sales. And so when you started your agency, you had that background. Whereas a lot of people, it's almost kind of like the the trouble with why so many restaurants fail. People are like, oh, I'm a good chef. I'm going to start a restaurant. And it's the same thing. They're like, well, I like designing websites, so I'm going to be a web designer and start an agency around that. It's like, well, you still need a way to kind of get clients. And you still need some systems and some uh, processes in place to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And so you, you talked a little bit about the, the ethos of an agency. And so I kind of want to transition from that into kind of your own ethos and how you see, um, demands and growing in the future. What are your, how do you define success for demands then? Yeah. So, I mean, I define success for us as continuing to grow the business profitably and doing so in line with you know what we and our employees value as a, as a company. Mm-hmm. And so, do you see yourselves continuing to grow to take more people on? Do you want to become like a, a big agency? Um, I mean, I want to I want to take the business as as far as as its currently tiny legs will take it. Right? <laughs> um, I mean, you know, it's that's that's part of what I enjoy and have always enjoyed. I mean, if you, it's growing businesses. Um, you know, my clients and, and ours included. Um, but I think, you know, I think it's important, like we want to be, you know, basically kick ass at demand generation and, and always be getting better at that. And, you know, we have a niche that we're comfortable with and that we enjoy focusing on. Um, but we really want to do it in line with, with, with our values as an organization too, right? Like, I mean, we literally give employees coffee mugs that have our core values on them. (laughs) (laughs) What are those core values? Um, so we think it's incredibly important to own your results, right? Like we're a results-based business, um, and we want to manifest that through the work that we do with customers. Um, we feel that it's really important to solve problems. Um, most of us work remotely, right? So if you can solve a problem at your desk, that's awesome. If you can solve a problem by Googling, that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, if you need to pull more people in, we highly encourage that. Um, but, but fundamentally, the more discreet you can be in your problem solving, the more effective we can be as a team. Mm-hmm. Um, commonly, um, but we also manifest that self for our customers, right? Like what we do as a business is solve demand generation problems, and we mm-hmm. and we do that flexibly. 
Um, we think communication is incredibly important. Um, so effective communication is, is one of our core values. Uh, we look forward to being basically flexible and team-oriented. And um, we also think it's incredibly important to be honest and open, um, both as individuals as well as a team and, and working with our clients. And we're also very family-friendly and family-oriented. Mm-hmm. Do you have an office? Or are you fully remote? Or how does that work for you guys? We, we have an office, and almost no one uses it. <laughs> it seems like that happens a lot where you try to balance the, the office with the remote team as people, for the most part, tend to the remote. Yep, exactly. And so how do you guys manage communication on like when, for the most part, you are completely remote? Sure. So we use Slack. Um, we use Hubstaff. Um, we use um, a tool called Office Vibe, which is an, an anonymous employee assessment mechanism. Um, and we, we do a lot to try and you know, communicate effectively across the team and, and also just making sure everyone's doing all right. Mm-hmm. And that was one thing when talking to a lot of agency owners is that you see is that it's not necessarily harder to communicate remotely, but you have to be more deliberate about it. You have to make sure you have the systems in place to kind of facilitate that communication. Yeah, absolutely. Because otherwise, when you see someone face-to-face every day, it's easier to follow up on things. It's easier to make sure things aren't falling through the cracks. But online, it can be difficult. Right. I mean, the biggest challenge is just informal communication. Mm -hmm. How long have you guys been using Slack for? Oh, probably a year at this point. Mm -hmm. Were you using anything before that or... Um, you know, we had Gchat inside of our right. accounts. We're like kind of like late adopters on Slack. Like we've probably for the past like three to six months have been using it. Like before that it was Skype. Slack like in and of itself isn't revolutionary, but the way they, the way they've kind of created the product and the way they've set it up, like it does make a big difference in kind of ease of communication. Yeah, no, it's got a good workflow associated with it. Mm-hmm. And then all the integrations and all of that. No, so like that's one of the big tools that has, has kind of changed how we work remotely. But Yep. Yeah. And so to kind of wrap things up a little bit, I'm, I'm curious, what, what are the goals you guys are working towards in, say, the next year? Um, so we actually use um, something called the Entrepreneurial Operating System, or EOS. It's, it's literally like an operating system for small companies. Um, and, and so we set, we set essentially annual three year, 10 year goals for the company. Um, so we're, you know, we're looking to continue to profitably grow the business. Um, and we've got targets set for that, um, as well as continuing to evolve how we do business. Um, you know, and, and, and essentially that, that translates into, um, trying to better leverage tools and technologies on behalf of our customers, um, trying to drive better results. Um, and, and also trying to do a better job of just how we run things internal to the business. Mm-hmm. And so to, we don't need to get too much into specifics of the, the goals, the, the monetary goals, but how do you see yourselves growing? Is it growing out by taking on more projects? Is it going to be taking bigger projects or a combination of both? So, you know, I don't know. That's actually one of the open questions that I have to solve on the 10-year plan, but I don't have to solve it on the one-year plan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that's, that's one of like the big kind of questions a lot of agency owners have, especially when, when they're at a turning point where they could get a lot bigger is that, do I want to get bigger as an organization or should I just focus on bigger clients or it's, there's a lot to think about there. Yeah, no, there's definitely a lot of challenges. And so if our listeners want to learn more about you and about demands, then what's the best way for them to do that? Okay. So I actually think it's really important to communicate with your customers in, in whatever manner works best for them. So, you know, you can hit our website at demandzen.com. Um, you can email me, bart, at demandzen.com, 
or you can give me a shout at um, 919-789-1482. Nice. So you really do go all the way with that and give them whatever option they want. Yep. Nice. I just want to thank you again for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Happy to help. I love some of those examples that Bart shared today, especially when you talked about that click-to-call campaign you ran. Usually, commoditized services have a really hard time with advertising because it's so hard to stand out from the crowd, but Bart showed how with a little bit of creativity, it was still possible to get real results. But the big theme of the show was test everything. No matter how long you've been doing this, you can't assume your first attempt is going to be best. It almost never is. Whether it's writing an email or creating a pay-per-click ad, the same lessons apply. Start with what your experience has taught you are the best practices, but realize that's just a start, and to really succeed, this needs to be an ongoing process of testing and optimizing. Use that approach not just with your ads and marketing, but also with how you run your agency in general. Don't be afraid to try something new just because it isn't conventional. As long as your tests are reversible, you should always be experimenting, because the right test can transform your business. That's all for this week. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love it if you could do me a favor and head over to iTunes and leave a review. These reviews really help our rankings, which in turn helps grow our audience. So if you could spare a minute to do that, I'd really appreciate it. And to everyone that's already left a review, thanks. That really means a lot to me. Next week, I'm talking with outreach consultant Kai Davis, who explains exactly what an outreach consultant does and how he's able to use those skills to help agencies grow their audience. Talk to you next week. See ya. See ya.